Acts chapter 3, verses 11 to 26. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and that shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This is God's word. All right. So sometimes uh, in life you see or experience something that's so out of the ordinary, so shocking that your first natural gut instinct is to talk with somebody about what that thing is. And I became uh, first aware of this in the like 2000s when the show Lost was on TV. And when that show was running, people would actually have like watch parties where they would call their buddies and go, we have to watch the next episode of Lost. They'd watch the episode of Lost and then they'd spend time afterwards talking about everything that happened. And this started to become formalized as the years went on. Uh, Jen and I, for a time, we watched this zombie apocalypse show called The Walking Dead which is exactly as it sounds like. There's people walking around, and it makes you ask yourself this question, um, oh my goodness, if there was a zombie apocalypse, what would I do? Would I run and hide in a building and just kind of hope nobody came after me? Would I start training and weapons so that I could defend myself? But by the beginning of the second season, right after the show, The Walking Dead, there came another show called The Talking Dead. And they would sit down and talk about the show that had just come on right before. And this instinct to kind of talk about something shocking is something that we experience all the time. This year, for the first time in many years, I was watching the Oscars live, and something crazy happened between a comedian and an actor. And the screen freezed up. I said, oh my goodness, what happened now? I saw this comedian kind of grab his face, 
And then I went right to, I don't have Twitter, so I had to Google Twitter Oscars 2022 to see what happened. And I saw the Japanese telecast, which was unbleeped. And I go, oh my goodness, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. And for the next couple of days, I was obsessed with this event. I said, what do people think happened? How are people reacting to this? And that is a natural instinct. When something crazy happens, you go, I don't know how to feel. And I want to hear what other people are saying about this. And this form of kind of processing the world has exploded in the last 15 to 20 years. Sometimes um, these things kind of touch upon our life, but sometimes they don't. And you can kind of go to Twitter, you can go to podcasts, you can go to commentaries, there's post-game shows for every single thing that happens, and it gives you the opportunity to process what is going on. Now, sometimes these things are just kind of superficial and dumb, and you look into them because you want to know what's going on in terms of gossip, but it doesn't really impact your life. But sometimes you read a headline or you go through your newsfeed and you go, this could change my life. And so anytime there's like a, a student loan kind of piece of news, I'm like, what? <laughs> what's going on? Or anytime there's inflation news, I read much more carefully than uh, a Kardashian did whatever. I don't care about that. But anytime there's something that touches on your life, you kind of go, what does this story have to do with me? And that's the same exact dynamic that's happening in Acts chapter 3. Everyone here had witnessed something crazy. This man, 40 years old, never been able to walk, sitting in the same spot day after day asking for money, all of a sudden is leaping for joy and praising God. And everybody who witnessed it gathered at a part of the temple called Solomon's Portico, and they go, what just happened? How is it possible that this man is now able to walk. And Peter acknowledges this in verse 12. He says, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. And what we're looking at now is that talk, is that debrief, is that chatter. How is it possible that all of a sudden this man, lame for 40 years, is now able to walk? That's what we'll talk about. Uh, before we do that, let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you so much for giving us this time. And this is an old story, and it happened 2,000 years ago. And it's easy to kind of swipe it away and say, oh, that's nice for this man, but it has nothing to do with me. But as we look at what Peter tells us about how this man came to leap for joy, we recognize that the same power that was at work in this person's life is available to us if we would only recognize it and experience it by calling out your name. So I pray as we reflect, as we think, as we chatter together about what's going on here, you would give us greater faith in the power of your name. We thank you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Forty years old, couldn't walk, all of a sudden is starting to walk. If that happened today, I think most of us would turn towards modern medicine and go, that must be how this happened. Uh, I think a couple of years ago, um, Jen agreed to let this guy point a laser at her eye and cut off a part of her cornea so that all of a sudden she could see. And she has not great vision, um, but all of a sudden, this laser, zzz, and now she can see. And it's like uh, amazing. Jesus had to do all kinds of stuff to get people to see. But modern medicine is crazy now. Uh, they can do the same thing with hearing by putting cochlear implants in here that interprets the sound waves puts a little electrical signal to the nerve that transmits a signal to your brain so that people who could not hear are all of a sudden able to talk and communicate with one another. Modern medicine is amazing, 
But the ancients didn't have this type of medicine. Of course, medicine existed, but the best they could do was either relieve your pain. In some cases, they could present, uh, prevent diseases. In other cases, they could kind of give you some general advice about what to do. And doctors were everywhere. The gospel, or the gospel writer Luke, the author of Acts, was probably a physician. So physicians were around. But physicians and medicine were not capable of giving a miraculous cure to suddenly take away the thing that had been, I guess, bothering you for your entire life. But there were miraculous cures that were available in the ancient world. They would not have turned to medicine, but they would have turned to a supernatural being and said, what supernatural being could produce this supernatural cure? And during this time, there was plenty of options. There's the Greek god Apollo. There's Apollonius of Tiana, who was a wandering mystic, just like Jesus, who was able to heal people. And the biggest god at this time for healing was a man named Asclepius. But the thing about ancient healing that happened through these gods was they were very elaborate, expensive affairs. So for example, Asclepius, Turkey, modern-day Turkey. They had a lot of temples that were built up there, and they had to go through these elaborate rituals in order to receive healing there. You'd have to go, pay a lot of money to stay in this place, you'd have to purify your body, and you'd have to sleep in that temple night after night until the God gave you a vision or a dream. And when they gave you a vision or a dream, you had to ask the priest, what does this dream mean? What should I do with it? And then you would have to follow it exactly in order to get a cure. So there's a famous orator named Aristides who kept a journal of all the things that he was suffering with. He suffered from cough, he suffered from vomiting, he was exposed to the plague, and he went to the temple of Asclepius, and they gave him all kinds of crazy advice. In the middle of winter, he was supposed to go into a freezing river and sit there for a couple of hours and then come out. And he survived, uh, thankfully, but that's the type of thing that would happen. These are the type of cures that supernatural beings would require. You want a cure from us? You're going to have to jump through some hoops, you're going to have to pay some money, and you're going to have to do something amazing. Compare that to the story that we're looking at. This lame man didn't have to do any of that. He was sitting there, Peter and John looked at him, and simply by saying the name of Jesus and lifting this man up, all of a sudden, he was healed. And Peter makes this explicit in the chatter. In verse 16, he says, And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. He was not saved by dipping his water, uh, dipping himself into ice cold water in the middle of winter. He was not saved by having to spend a lot of money to sleep in a temple and get this vision about what he should be doing. He was saved because somebody said the name of Jesus and lifted him up. Now, names are a very powerful thing. And a lot of us grew up with the idea, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. So that's the opposite view. Um, we're about to have a boy, and so we spent a lot of time talking about what kind of name to give him. We asked Arlo a couple months ago, what do you think a good name would be? She goes, Jesus. Um, and I was like, that's a little too much pressure if we call him Jesus. Um, the name I liked was um, Doctor, because I worked so hard to get my doctorate that all of a sudden, if you just name this kid Doctor, like he skips a line, and his first grade teacher's got to call him Dr. Kim. I thought that was kind of cute. Uh, another one we had was Rocky. You know, we're from Philly, so Rocky's like a cute name, but then Jen's point's like, come on, if he's 40, and he's like at the office, and someone's like, hey, Rocky, can you give me those papers? He's gonna be like, this is a little kid's name. It doesn't quite work. I think we settled on Otis. 
But anyway, all that to say, names are powerful. They shape the way that people look at you. They shape the way that people experience you. And companies have known this for a very long time. There's something called foreign branding, where companies will take a name that doesn't really belong to them and use it to kind of give their product a little boost. So some examples, Superdry is a men's clothing label that's written in Japanese font and supposed to mimic Tokyo style, started by two British guys. Uh, there's Haagen-Dazs, that was started by uh, a Polish Jewish immigrant in New York, and it's supposed to look like a Danish word, it's nonsensical, it even has the umlaut over the first A, but it's supposed to make you think of ice-cold Denmark, and this is the place where ice cream comes from. My favorite, Outback Steakhouse, supposed to be Australian cuisine, started in Tampa, Florida, <laughs> has nothing to do with Australia, and closer to home, Perry Baguette, is not from Paris, <laughs> it's by Koreans. So all this stuff is the same product, but you just change the name, and all of a sudden there's a mystique to it, there's an added element of, ooh, I gotta go look into that. One of the most powerful names in the world today, Alexa, Alexa. Starting in 2018, parents started reporting that their child's first word was Alexa, <laughs> because parents are at home. Alexa, play this song. Alexa, turn off the lights. Alexa, order the groceries. Alexa, find me a deal. And this name can do all kinds of stuff. I don't have Alexa because I don't like trust um, like things listening to me and those kind of things. But apparently you can start your car with Alexa and say, Alexa, start my car. I'm going to be out there in three minutes and then it'll start your car for you. Peter pounces on this idea. Names are a powerful thing. But the name that he reveals to have this power is a shocking name. The name that he says that healed this man was the name of Jesus. Now to us, it's a beloved name, it's a precious name, but at that time, it was only a few months after Jesus had died. He had been condemned by the Roman government as a false king, a king of the Jews, somebody who had tried to usurp power. He had been condemned by the religious authorities of his day who said he was a blasphemer, claiming to be the son of God. And you can think of a famous criminal and say, that name and think how odd it would have been to see a man walking, ask how it is that this man was healed, and to say the name of somebody infamous. I don't even want to do it because it's so weird to compare Jesus in that way, but that's exactly what happened. This criminal, who had died only a few months earlier, Peter was now claiming, was responsible for this event. But as Peter says that, he's telling them, you had it all wrong. You acted in ignorance. You did not know who this man was. You thought he was a criminal. You thought he was worse than a murderer. But in actuality, he is God's chosen servant. He's the holy and righteous one. He is the author of life. Verse 17 says, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. So Peter has to back up this shocking claim and say, yes, to you, he looks like a criminal. He suffered and died like a criminal. He died in a cursed way upon a tree according to Deuteronomy, but he says this had to happen. When you look through the prophets, look at Isaiah, you see that the chosen servant of God had to suffer in order to bring about forgiveness, redemption. He says, look at Moses. Moses said, a brother will come up just like me, and he will be somebody who speaks a word of blessing to you, and you must follow him. He even goes all the way back to Abraham and says, Abraham was promised that through one of his descendants, somebody would rise up, somebody who would have to suffer, but this person would be the source of blessing. Everyone thought Jesus was the name of a criminal, 
somebody worse than a murderer, and Peter is telling him, no, it's the exact opposite. He is the author of life. And this dynamic is uh, very interesting. It's uh, captured in the show called uh, Undercover Boss, right? So I didn't uh, watch the show a lot, but I binge watched a bunch of clips um, this weekend in preparation for this message. This is the way that it works. The CEO of a company will want to visit kind of the lowest rung of his company to kind of get a view of what's going on in that company. But they dress up in this weird disguise and pretend like they don't know what they're doing. And so they walk in, they go to like the local store, and they kind of just go, hey, I'm interested in a job like um, cleaning the toilets. And when they think this guy's a nobody, it's very interesting to say the way that people react. Uh, I think this one guy was from a Chick-fil-A or something like that, and he's telling the CEO of Chick-fil-A how much he hates Chick-fil-A. And he says, I don't like the customers, I don't like the kids. When they come in, I want to punch them. <laughs> and this guy's like... And so they reveal their true colors when they think this guy is not who he is. On the other side, you have people who are very friendly, very nice, sharing about their life, how much they're struggling, but how they're so happy to have this job. At the end of the show, the guy takes off his disguise like in Scooby-Doo and reveals himself, and everyone is shocked. But usually what happens at the end is the guys who are nice to him, he kind of listens to their story and finds a way to help them out in a way that they could not have done on their own. It's the same dynamic. They thought this guy was the lowliest employee in the whole company, and they treated him either like garbage or treated him well. In reality, he was the owner of the company, able to produce so many different things for the people that he cared for. Same dynamic with Christ. You thought he was worse than a murderer, but it ends up that he is the author of life. And Peter promises something very interesting. It's easy to hear this story and go, that's nice for this man. But by the time we proceed to verses 19 and 20, we find out that what happened to this man is not just for him, but it's also for everybody listening at the time, and it's also for us. Verses 19 and 20 say, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And it reminds you that even though this story is something that's fantastic, that's crazy, that's shocking, that happened to this one guy, it all of a sudden begins to apply to us. There's an old movie, really old, that I used to watch over and over again called The Never-Ending Story. I don't know if you've ever seen this movie, but it's a fantasy book where this guy is reading this story, and all of a sudden he sees his own name appear in the book, and he recognizes that he is a part of this story. And this is the exact same thing that's happening here. We're reading about this man 2,000 years ago who all of a sudden is able to walk. And as Peter is talking, we realize that what happened to him is not just for him, but it's available to all of us. When we understand the power of Christ's name, what's available to us is times of refreshing. I think Pastor Sam put this well last week. What happened to this man is a mirror for what's happening in our own hearts. Forty days 40 years, carried from place to place, doing the same thing over and over again. His greatest hope is he can just get a little bit of gold and silver, and that's the best he can hope for. 40 years old, going to the same job every day, hoping that I can get a little more gold and silver, and hopefully it'll buy me something that will make me happy. But what Peter is saying, if that is all that you have, if that is your horizon, you are living in a time of dryness, you are living in a time of brittleness. Just like this man was able to leap and jump, we are also able to leap and jump. And the question I kept thinking about as I read about this man was, 
He could not walk. He could not move. And the first thing he did when he had that ability was he jumped up and down for joy. Now, I'm fine. My legs are fine. But I cannot remember the last time I jumped up and down for joy. It would look silly. It would feel silly. But the sadder thing is, God, when was the last time I was so happy, overwhelmed with thankfulness at the way that God had blessed me that I could not contain it, that I could just leap for joy? There's nothing wrong with my legs, but there's something wrong in here. There is a brittleness. There's a dryness. And I know that it's there because when you get up in the morning, you don't go, yes. When I get up in the morning, I go, oh, <laughs> what time is it? What's all this stuff that I got to do? 40. It's, it's awful. <laughs> but that's what this is talking about, right? When your heart is dry, when you feel brittle, this man all of a sudden leapt up and down for joy, praising God, worshiping God. And when we understand the power of the name of Jesus, that same power is available to us. And what does it look like? It looks like a man, 40 years old, jumping up and down for joy because God had done something wonderful in his life. All of us have this thing that we have that we feel a little hopeless about. I will never get a good night's sleep. I will never fix this health problem that I have. This relationship will always be the exact way it is. I always have to make this amount in order to get to the place that I want. The power of Jesus' name is in a place of hopelessness, you can have hope. The horizon that you have is no longer, I just hope I get a little more gold and silver to get to the next place. But the thing that you thought was unfixable is all of a sudden fixable by the power of his name. So the message for our church is God wants to pour out times of refreshing upon our church. He wants us to wake up in the morning and feel this sense of hope, this overwhelming sense of I need to worship God because he has been so good in my life. And maybe we're not as far gone as Peter's original audience who thought Jesus was a criminal, but maybe we don't use the name of Jesus that much. Maybe he's somebody we think about on Sundays. Maybe he's this historical character in a book that we read to our kids sometimes. Maybe he's this person 2,000 years ago who was at the head of our religion, but not anybody we spend any real time going, God, this is the thing that I have going on in my heart. Can you help me? In John 14, Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, I will give to you. Whatever you ask. And we ask for so little. We quickly turn to gold and silver. We quickly turn to physicians and medicine. We quickly turn to the things that we feel like we can get some control of. But he says, just ask. Use my name, ask, and see what I can do. The passage we started with at the beginning of worship comes from Philippians 2. The name of a criminal exalted above all names. I'll read it for us. And being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Let's pray. Just take a couple seconds. Um, think about the things that are going on in your own life. And especially think about those things that are what this lame man had, the inability to walk. What are the hopeless things in your life that you say, this thing will always be the way that it is? Jesus' name is powerful. 
powerful to heal, powerful to restore, powerful to bring times of refreshing, powerful to pour out his spirit and allow there to be life where there once was death, allow there to be an overwhelming, overflowing fountain of joy where there once was dryness and brittleness, the ability to wake up in the morning and go, God, I love you. I love all the things that you've done for me. I'm so thankful for how you've moved in my life as opposed to waking up with a groan. These things are possible because his name is powerful. And if you are out of practice calling on his name, this is a good time to try it. Say, God, this is a thing that I'm hopeless about. In the name of Jesus, I just ask for your help. Help me. So why don't we pray like that for a little bit, and then uh, we'll go on with our worship.